1: From the Cycling Independent, this is The Paceline, Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So are you still just knee-deep in bike racing? I, I don't know if I'm knee-deep, but, uh, yeah, I'm probably knee-deep.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, Amstel Gold races were this last weekend. Very exciting finishes, um more i think in the women's race there was it, it was uh undecided later in the race but demi volering uh who's having a great season so far pulled through uh for the win in that one and then on the men's side uh tade pagachar just did what he seems to do which is ride away from everyone else just when he decides that it's time to do that yeah he's he's won how many times this season uh th- Well, he won again today because (laughs) Flesh Wallone was today and and Vollering also won today. And that is a crazy race. It finishes on this, you know, Mm -hmm. steep, uh, cobbled climb. Stupidly Uh, steep.
1: Let's be clear, like 22 percent.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And yet again. And that one, I was like, oh, it's all coming together like it's going to be a dash for the line. But then he just decided to leave everybody. And. It's frightening.
1: This is why I'm not watching bike racing anymore. I hate to say. And I, you know, certainly I don't want to whiz on your parade or anyone else's, but it's like we've been down this road. When someone just starts riding away from everybody, uh, Occam's Razor says, okay, it's because they're dope
0: to the gills.
1: You know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's a very, you know, I don't really know what a wicket is for the most part, but, um, if I had one, I could guarantee you that it would be stickier than duct tape. Um, you know, it's, it, it accusing someone, uh, based on performance is not actually cool. So there's an ethical <sighs> dilemma there. Well, uh, let me give some
0: legs to to your side of the argument. Okay. Um, Perry Roubaix, Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew Vanderpool wins it. Um, He also just rode away from everyone. It was the fastest Roubaix in history of all time. Yeah, of all time. Yeah, and I think it's right to say that much of that will have to do with tires. Mm-hmm. You know they just ride smarter tech, uh, smarter equipment now than they did, used to. Yeah, but how do you have this the fastest Roubaix in history that's clean? If you figure everyone was twenty percent gacked on EPO before, yeah. Uh, and when I say twenty percent gacked, I mean their you know their their performance is increased by, and I pulled that number out of the place you pull numbers. But my point being is that there was a distinct advantage from using EPO. If we have in fact eliminated that from the equation, even if we have better tires, are we really like, is it?
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, Team Sky was all about, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the tiny, uh, the incremental gains that could be, made here and here and here and here and you know uh and then we found out oh yeah but they were also doped to the gills
0: yeah uh yeah it's true i am fully in the suspension of disbelief in watching these races and enjoying them i don't um it's not that i don't i don't care whether they're doped or not i certainly hope they're not or i hope they're doped less or i don't even know what i hope but <laughs> i still enjoy you know in in a lot of ways i think i watch a, a race like uh, perry-roubaix and the star is the race and mm-hmm. the star is that terrain and the history there um i don't i don't really have riders that i'm rooting for uh-huh uh i just enjoy the spectacle and it's interesting, you know. There, there's certainly some interesting. There's always there are always interesting bits of strategy and stuff that happens. Yes. Um, that I like. So, um, you know, on the I think where we got to at the end of the doping era, and this is not my poll <laughs> for the day, but <laughs> I think where we got I'm to sorry. at the end. If, yeah. Yeah. No, I think. It, but it, this is a good topic. Maybe I'll bring this up next time. I think you know when we got to the end of the doping era. Or I shouldn't say the end of the doping era when we got to the peak of the doping era. um, I think what we all realized was, well, well, there's money
1: involved. People are going to cheat. Yeah, it was it it was if it didn't confirm anything else, it certainly confirmed that that when there's money on the line, humans are going to do what they can to shorten the distance between not winning and winning.
0: Yeah, and I think it would be naive to think that doesn't happen in all of the other sports. You know, that they're not all using whatever uh, s- supplements, banned or otherwise, that they can in order to come back from injuries and do all of this stuff. Anyway, that is all really complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. But my point is that if I accept that what I'm watching is... uh. Somewhat professional wrestling in its theater. nature. It's yes, it's it's still good theater and still good entertainment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, even though I I tend to be very thoughtful on these matters, uh, as evidenced by all the writing that I did do about doping about ten years ago. Um, I can't seem to arrive at a place that allows me to watch bike racing and release all those questions in my head and just enjoy it. In that I I honestly envy you. I miss watching bike racing. Uh yeah, it can be like watching paint dry, but when you start to see strategy unfold or just the miracle of like watching one person ride up the road, you know, away from three seemingly equally strong people who are going flat out, it's quite a thing to see, you know? Yeah.
0: I, I really enjoy the women's races because I think the conclusions are less foregone. Mm -hmm. Um, The strategies are more clear that a team is doing this and making this move in order to put that rider here like, you, you know which riders have have the strength to finish like Demi Vollering is a, is a great example like she has finishing speed uh, not so much in the sprint sense but in the like if someone is going to dig and stay away at the end she's a good candidate mm-hmm. um, and so I think the characters over there on that side are a bit more believable Um, and interesting and what, you know, what the SD works team has done this season, uh, in the spring races has been super impressive. If Vullering wins, Liege best only is she will have done the Arden triple this year.
1: (sighs) And that's Um, no small achievement.
0: And that's no, that's that. So you would say, well, Oh, she's superhuman, but actually, you know, she's got this great team behind her. Um, yeah, I mean I I you can tell I'm enjoying it all. And I think what I would put back to you or I would what I would say to you about getting to where I am is every sports story you watch on the television um meaning every game, every professional game in every professional league is affected by this stuff. Mhm. Yeah. Um so, you know, if you're going to watch sports, especially big, 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 big money sports, you're watching dubious productions.
1: People are availing themselves of tools that uh, mere mortals generally can't even afford to purchase.
0: That's right. There are no, uh, what is the old pro-pro Peloton expression, Paniagua? No one is riding on (laughs) bread and water. And that's true in the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, pro cycling, Cricket,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's true. Yeah, Um, and uh, I I guess it just shows what a a lightweight I am uh, in terms of wanting a purer world. I I'm just I'm tired of having to confront those uh, moral dilemma.
0: Yeah, I know. I think that's right. I mean, one of my big well, I watch a lot of European football, soccer, Mm -hmm. and um, increasingly the the charm is leaving the top level of the sport and and watching lower level. If you want to watch a purer version, watch a lower level where there's less money involved. (laughs) And I think that's true in all of the sports.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about the women's racing that has kept me sort of encouraged. You know the the sad fact is there's not that much money in women's racing, and because there's not much money, I just don't think there's doping in the same sort of way that there is in the men's side of the sport.
0: I know it's. I think you're probably right, and it's in a in a real way. I think well that sucks. Uh, <laughs> you know, totally, I think that totally, you know yeah. I, I'm fully in favor of the prize money being equal. One of my great frustrations is that with a lot of these races. The women's version is shorter than the men's for no reason I can discern other than they don't want to
1: spend the money to put on a more involved race. Uh, You know, it's just it's pure misogyny. I mean, the, the excuses that the UCI has given over the years about how women can't handle it and their bodies are too fragile. And it's it's a litany of the dumbest things that have ever come out of straight white guys mouths.
0: Yeah, it's some caveman stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a fan. Um, I think the, the drama and the storylines in the women's uh, side of the sport are great. Um, and I'm into them. You know, uh, uh, there's a good argument, I think, to be made also that the men's races don't need to be so long. A lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> know do you have to race 230 kilometers really to get that finish i don't think you do (laughs) and then maybe that curbs the doping because the recovery time for this stuff isn't so much like if you've got a racer like we should get to the actual podcast but if you've got a racer (laughs) like pogotja for example like how many times can you put him out for the win He's going to do he's going to have this spring season, which has been incredible for him. And then he's going to, like, shut it down and try to get ready for the tour. mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot of strain. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that brings up a whole other interesting thing in terms of how racing has changed in that you didn't used to have the whole of a race broadcast. You know, you'd Mm. have like the last hour. And so very often races would not be going flat out. Yeah. There would be some breakaway that would go away and those guys would be kind of killing themselves, but you know, they didn't, they didn't race the whole day the way they raced the whole day nowadays. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, they're, you know, uh, just the mere Schrodinger's cat, the mere presence of someone looking changed the racing.
0: Yeah, I think that's right.
1: So, uh, you have a poll about something uh, this week.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's not about pro racing. Uh, (laughs) That was fun, though. Uh, So, last weekend, I was down in Southeastern Massachusetts for the Mixtape Gravel Race. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the part of my state that is just inland from Cape Cod, and it's sandy down there. Uh, Yeah. There are cranberry bogs, lots of pine. It's very flat. Uh, which was a blessing for me <laughs> early in the season.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, rather than give you a blow-by-blow blow on the race, uh, what for me was really just a ride. Um, I mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. I want to address a question I heard a few people ask while we were there, which is, why are we paying to ride our bikes? Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, I think the idea is that given the quality of mapping software and the public access most events depend on, there really is no reason you couldn't just gather your troops, set your route and ride the same course whenever you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you sign up for a race, they don't give you the course right away. They wait till the night before or whatever. Um, but these are like pretty badly kept secrets, I think. Um, <laughs> If I know that this race is down where this race is, I know it's going to include a big chunk of Massasoit State Park and Freetown is down there and blah, blah, blah. You don't have to be a genius to put together where the course is going. Um, Having said that, I think there are a few simple answers to this question of like why we paid a ride. Uh, The first is you won't do those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. most of us struggle just to meet our day-to-day schedules and responsibilities um i think putting on mini events for our riding friends is beyond most of us (laughs) uh or we intend to and then never get to it so we pay for a ride event because it exists uh because it's all done for us and because we won't make an event on our own Mm -hmm. um second there's infrastructure Mm -hmm. Uh, so there are rest stops with calories and liquid and mechanical support uh, a post-ride beer and meal, swag. People love swag. Um, if Strava credit has value for many people, our ride t-shirt does too. Um, <laughs> a third, I think there's route expertise, right? So I could have picked where this group yes. w- was going and what it was doing. Uh, it's only an hour from my house, but I never go down there. I don't know what's good and what's not. Um, the best events in my opinion are those where the organizer is motivated to share the very best of their local riding with you um, yeah. the mixtapes sh- certainly showed me some gems I'd like to go back and explore on my own mm-hmm. uh, so that was worth paying for Um, fourth and I think this is hard to quantify but for me really valuable there are big ride vibes mhm D- mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, all day we merged, overtook, and got passed by riders, some in groups, some on their own. And all day we offered wheels, we took pulls, we sat on, etc. I got to meet some of my fellow riders, like this guy Terry, who had driven up by himself from New Haven, Connecticut, to do this race. Uh-huh. And he was he was in and out of our group all day. Like, he was really strong on the road and sort of weaker in the woods. Um, but, you know, we, we were passing him and then picking him up and then towing him along and then sitting on his wheel um and we fist bumped after the end and we talked briefly and I think that sort of thing even if it's brief and almost superficial it still has value for me mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. to say that bike shops are the heart of local cycling communities but events serve a crucial role too mm. uh, they, bring, <laughs> they bring people together who wouldn't meet otherwise yeah yeah uh huh um, fifth, there are kind of big ride dynamics. Uh, the mixtape was a race. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an overall winner, it wasn't me, no. Uh, no, not 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 this time. Uh, next time maybe, but they they had also established all these shorter segments within the race that you could compete on. Oh, uh huh. So you'd be you know, you're in the race, you're doing the thing, and then it would say go there would be a sign that says go and then at the end it would say chill at the end of the segment so it was all these (laughs) like so I you know we I one of the guys in my group was uh wanted to do this stuff so he would like burst off the front of our group and then we would catch him you know just after the end of the segment um there were quite a few of them, and it led to kind of a different dynamic than a simple point-to-point race. Also, mm-hmm. because it was a race, my friends paid a lot more attention to drafting and pacing than we would on one of our regular rides. Sure, yeah. Which are really just rambles, and so that was fun. Um, one of the one of the charms, I think, of bike riding is that once you have the bike, it's free. Mm-hmm. You know, go when you want, go where you want, go with whomever you want. Having said that, I think events are worthwhile investments. The 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 pandemic got us out of the rhythm of signing up and then training, etc. Mhm. But I was really happy to be back among a big group like that for once, and I'd recommend it, uh, the mixtape specifically or any other event if if only to kind of like shake the dust off of your riding and remember how the bike can bring us together.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree.
0: What would you would you add anything to
1: that? I I I would I would just take the yellow highlighter and highlight some of the things you said. Like you know the fact that you know you go out someplace. Um, I you know when when it finally came out that Levi Leipheimer had been doping, big surprise. Uh, a lot of people got really pissed off uh, about the Grand Fondo uh, that Bike Monkey puts on here. Um, and you know, part of it was people misunderstood and they thought that Levi was getting rich off of it. He wasn't, he doesn't get a dime for it. It's all all the, all the proceeds go to charity. But, uh, you know, people would say, well, I'll just go out and ride that route on, on my own. I mean, it's beautiful country and I like Sonoma County. Uh, so I'll just go do that ride on my own. No, you won't. The, the full, uh, the full century Uh, you know, it's 103 miles. Actually, it's a different course now because it starts in a different place, but (laughs) there are places out there where you're not even going to find a water spigot to refill your water bottles. You're not going to do that loop on your own unless maybe you've brought a hydration pack. Uh, you're not running across stores along the way, uh, when you finally get back to, uh, Occidental, like might uh mile 80 ish uh yeah you could stop in a store there but you know so a lot of times it's just not really feasible to do that on your own but like you also mentioned very often the organizer is doing what they can to assemble a greatest hits of what's in their area um and you know, time and time again, I've gone and done events, and it's like I would never. I don't care how many Strava segments I looked at, I would never have found that road or that trail or whatever. I wouldn't have figured it out. Um, You know, I've tried to use Strava to find rides uh that were around here, and it's like, what's that trail? I'll, I'll just I'll drive out there. I'll, I, for all of my technological savvy, that is something I patently cannot do so expecting that i'm going to look at a map and figure out some gravel ride and here's the thing road rides that's one thing you know if the if if it's 60 miles sure you can drive somewhere and, and figure that out and knock it out gravel rides i mean obviously i don't know about where you are but around here you're gonna miss half the turns
0: i mean certainly that's true here Um, And the other thing is that for all the great trails we have here, we also have a lot of terrible trails. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we Uh also have a lot that are like uh, where the rock is too small to be mountain bikeable and too big to be gravelable, if that makes any sense. Mm, yep. Where yep. it's just kind of like not going to be any good to ride on. So, yeah, I think that local expertise is important. And I think another uh, way to say what I meant initially in, in terms of like you won't do it on your own, almost every event I sign up for is more than I would do on my own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm hmm. Right? I mean each one of them is sort of an ambitious. It's an ambition. Yeah. Uh Aspirational. Aspirational. Like this was 60 miles. That is the longest I have ridden this year. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of it was hard riding. Mm-hmm. Uh so I'm not gonna just, you know, bang that out on a Sunday on my own because I'm so Uh, cool. I'm not that cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, my first event of this year, and I don't really count my, my trip to Wente last year. So this is really kind of the first event that I'll have done since 2020, but, uh, I'm going to Boggs Demo Forest up in Lake County and I'll be doing bike monkeys, uh, eight hour race there. Um, you know, I I would enjoy going there and looking around and whatnot, but I like knowing that there's you know there's tape and flags and stuff, and I can't get lost. Yeah, <laughs> this will be my first visit to Boggs ever. Um, if I drove up on my own, would I try to do four or five laps? Uh, good lord, no. I mean, I'm right. not all that bright. Uh, but. I, I have the good sense that if I'm going to do a longer day, I'm going to I'm not going to do laps and laps and laps of the same thing um, unless I pay money to someone. So there's a certain silliness there, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Jean-Paul Sartre uh, would probably uh, enjoy the absurdity of that. Um,
0: well, that, that's true of every ride, right? You leave your home on your bike, work very hard for some number of hours only to return to the place you left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should retitle his work Brief Exit. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, all of the things that you're saying um, are, are wonderful. I mean, my best friend in the world I met at a grasshopper. Um uh, hmm. She rode past me and I couldn't chase her down before the finish. Um, But uh, yeah, the the friendships and, you know, I I will take issue with one thing you said um, that the the friendships that I've formed as a result of going to events and meeting people. I don't see that as superficial at all.
0: I didn't mean that they were superficial. I meant even the superficial ones were worthwhile. Like I didn't get this guy Terry's right. that, contact yeah. information. Like we don't have plans to meet up. I didn't like friend him on social media. But it was good to like talk ride with him a little bit. And what was great about it was in the course of the ride, we formed a a little like a weak bond, mm-hmm. so to speak, without yeah. without exchanging any words about it. Yep. You know, it was like he would come along and I, and he would like tuck in with us and we'd be like, hey, how are you doing? And there was no question. Like, yeah, ride the wheel, tuck, do whatever you need to do. He was on front for bits. There was no like, oh, we're going to we didn't have like a, a, a meeting where we we're like, all right, we're going to team up now. Uh, yeah. But yeah. it just happened
1: spontaneously. And that's really nice. I really like that. It's good fun. And the, the kind of enduro format that you were doing, um, that's how Giro's Grinduro, God only knows if that event's ever going to happen again, but, uh, that's how Grinduro is. You know, you, you do this 19 mile climb and then like 14 miles into it, you've got two miles where you kill yourself. Um, and they would have like, you know, rest stops, uh, immediately after the, 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 you know, they didn't say chill. They probably should have, but yeah, after you've. Past the the finish of that segment, they would have a rest stop there, and people would gather up and hang out. That's a neat kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, anything that makes the whole experience more interesting. I'm, yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm into it too. I, I had a fun day. I had a fun day, uh, and good to just get the the a big group of friends together and. Uh, Sorry, everyone. There's a helicopter flying, landing on my roof, apparently right now. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Maybe I'm being medevaced.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bike events. Yeah. Do yeah. one. <laughs> All righty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute.
0: The Pace line is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46, and of course if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Ultegra and Dura-Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What are you yakking about this week?
1: Well, uh, I have a listener question um, from our our buddy John. Pro bono producer John. Yes. Yes. Uh, He asks, in what ways is matching important? Uh, Some people want their shorts and shirt to match. Some even throw matching socks into the mix. Uh, The most matchy seem to be tandem riders who almost always find the same jerseys for stoker and captain. Uh, Teams match down to every detail. uh, And if their saddle sponsor doesn't make a seat that fits, they will fake it with a counterfeit logo. True story. Um, I just added the true story. Uh, So looking the same is a version of matching. Another version is being evenly matched in terms of fitness or ability on the bike. Is matching important Or is difference even better than matching, both sartorially and exercisally? Uh, I like that John coined a new word for us.
0: Exercisally is good.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to get out in front of this. I have lived this one to the hilt. (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and lay down my arms. Um, You know, (laughs) yeah. The only honest thing to do is cop to that now. Uh, I was on a race team where we had black bibs for training. Uh, they had our sponsor on the side uh, and red ones for race day. Mm-hmm. Um, years red, red ago. Is fast. I, well, duh. Yeah. Um, I mean, admittedly, those red bibs with the yellow panel with our, our sponsor on them. Those were some hot looking bibs. They really <laughs> were. Um,
0: I don't know if anyone's ever said hot looking bibs before, but go on. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Years ago, a former flame and I would match everything but shoes and helmet when we got on my tandem. Um, So the way I see this is that uh, the issue is one of perception. How do you want to look when you go out in public? Uh, Because of how I'm wired. I don't. Enjoy being a visual disaster. Um, So just as I like to wear pants and a shirt that match, I like to wear cycling clothing that does not offend the eye. Uh, I tend to choose helmets in neutral colors, like white, (laughs) so that it's easy to match with kits. Uh, I was sent a red helmet for review a couple of years ago, and I can't bring myself to wear it with colors that it clashes with. If I'm in a, a a kit that has green, there's no chance I'm wearing that helmet. Mm. None. Mm-hmm. Um and I I'm somebody who even goes as far as like, you know, color values. Um I what really really gets me is like mixing uh saturated hues with earth tones. That sort of thing. Can't do it. Can't do it. Even, you know, and it's funny to think that like I'm wearing tight, stretchy clothing. So I can't really even see myself all that well. Um, but you know, just knowing that it's on me, I get a rash, uh, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, I say that, but I'm going to hasten to add that it's not that I think there are rules we need to follow, but rather I don't want to look like a four year old dressed me. Mm. Um, Now, (laughs) having said all that, years ago on Fridays during the winter, I'd meet up with friends to go for a coffee ride, Um, and I'd joke about it being the anti-kit ride. I once wrote a whole post about the anti-kit. I remember. Um, What I did and encouraged friends to do was to create the clashiest outfit they could. I wore all the bright colors I could, the funny thing is, I'm going to admit here now, even then, I couldn't bring myself to mix taxicab yellow with neon yellow. Right. Sauce. Yep. Yep. That's me. Yep. Yep. I go right up to the precipice and then don't jump. Uh, you know, and there's another sense of matchy here that we haven't discussed, and that's being matchy in terms of the style of apparel. Uh, The guys in my mountain bike club mostly wear baggy stuff. You know, their jerseys are loose, they don't have pockets in the back, and their shorts look like cargo shorts. Me? I'm in Lycra. Why? When I wear baggies on a long ride, my butt ends up soaked in my own sweat, and I don't begin to dry out until after I've changed out of that stuff. Uh, So on my Sunday mountain bike rides, I'm sometimes the only rider present in snug-fitting cycling apparel. That's not always true, but it certainly happens. And uh, so apparently my standard is that comfort trumps conformity. Well, I think what you're getting at is that um,
0: you feel the pull of the match, but you recognize that the match is has no actual... It doesn't do anything. (laughs) I think I think there are a few things going on here. One, I think uh, it's um, if you have your kit together, it's it tells other people that you know what you're doing. I think cyclists are very insecure about like, oh, I need to look like I know what I'm doing Uh uh, because riding a bike is very serious business. And
1: <laughs> if only I'd been serious about something in my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> no, but I think there's something there. I think the human, you know, this is a thing in, in, in physics and all of science really is that symmetries, the scientists look for symmetries because it's where mm-hmm. you can glean information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, that, that is an indication of order. And so when you see someone in a matching, cl- uh, kit are they are, orderly in what they're doing um the problem i don't even know if it's a problem one of the (laughs) outcomes is that many times cyclists end up looking very precious
1: well i mean that whole mammal thing um you know we we kind of we blundered our way into that Mm. yeah had we not taken ourselves so seriously and you know uh yeah uh tried to make our cat three road team look like a pro team with a billion sponsors on it um
0: (sighs) it's cosplay it's just cosplay (laughs) yes it is (laughs) you know like you tell me you wear uh like a lycra kit on a mountain bike like tell me you're a roadie without telling me you're a roadie Uh, and that's and that's fine, right? There is there are there are good practical arguments for wearing a road kit on a mountain bike, um, and whatever people uh, affect in terms of style, they've got a rationalization for it, right? Oh, I wear oh, sure. baggy stuff because the airflow is better that way. I mean, yeah, okay, all right. Um, I I think I have done the matchy match thing before because i was taking myself too seriously i wanted everyone to know that i really knew what i was doing um maybe i know what i'm doing maybe i'm do- i i don't uh, that's for other people to decide i guess lately i actually am taking some joy in wearing mismatching kit oh yeah yeah it's it's not even that it clashes i'm not trying to be an eyesore but like i'll ma- like when i was um uh a traveling rep i would get jerseys from different shops that i worked with Uh um and then i would sometimes get matching bibs or sometimes not but now what i like to do is kind of like i'll wear cycle fit bibs with a velo smith (laughs) jersey and i just want people to be like "Ugh, like what is what is he doing uh and you know the only answer is well i'm just riding a bike doesn't it does like doesn't even bear looking at me and trying to figure out what i'm doing (laughs) because It's just. Uh, mm-hmm. But then he also brought up matching in terms of ability.
1: Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's there's something to that because I think there's a certain piece to be found in riding with people who are of similar ability or similar fitness. Um, you, you move together more easily. Um, and there's the fact that I think most of us if we feel like we're substantially slower than the people we're riding with, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speak for anyone else. For me, when I'm riding with people and I'm noticeably slower than they are, um, I don't, I don't often apologize anymore, but I will, I will, uh, uh, kid myself pretty mercilessly. I, I will, butt myself of jokes um, yeah uh, that's mm-hmm. so it's nice to go out with people where you kind of flow easily together
0: I think that's true I think when you ex- when you find the people that you match with ability wise it allows you to be a little bit egoless a little bit more egoless like if I ride with someone faster than me my ego will force me to go too hard in order to keep up Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to ride with someone. I know that I'm I'm well matched with someone if I don't mind asking them to back off the pace. Mm. Mm. Right, like that doesn't cost me anything from an ego point of view because I trust they know I can do it. If it's just like right now, I need to chill a little bit. If we could just take it down a notch, mm-hmm. and so uh, the ma- matching on that level is is nice because it lets you be sane. and most of the time when I'm riding, I know who those people are. I'll say, hey, can we back off the pace a little? I know that nine times out of 10, they're gonna say, oh yeah, that was a little spicy, sorry. Um, you know, they're like, <laughs> they're they're thinking what I'm thinking. Like, sometimes you just get in this mode, like, oh, we're gonna go faster, faster, faster. We're just doing that unconsciously. But if you are well-matched and you don't mind saying, this is too much, or 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 even let's pick up, you wanna pick up the pace? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that works really well, but I like being in a, in a group where I don't have to think about that very much.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a, a rolling section of trail on, on Sunday's ride where, you know, following a, a fair bit of downhill, uh, you kind of, it's not really stair-steppy climbing, but it's a little rolling climbing. And uh I knew that a buddy of mine had closed the distance. I had opened a gap on the descent, and he had closed the distance on the uphill. And when we reached a spot where I could get out of the way, I pulled over because I am still the guy who hates holding up anybody else behind me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I don't want to hold anyone up behind me. I think I've reached a point in my cycling. I think the mismatching kit is a good example of like I don't have a. I'm not trying to prove anything to people. Mm-hmm. My kit doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kit doesn't match. That's correct. Your expectations should be in line with that. Uh, and it's the same. You know, if I'm riding single track and someone's you know up behind me, like I pull over right away. I don't care.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I want them to have flow. Uh, yeah. I don't want to bust anyone's flow, and I don't want anyone to bust my flow. So you know
1: yeah unrelated but something i'm going to mention just cuz uh you know in in say 1999 uh 2004 you know that whole era uh of he who sh- shall not be named um wearing a plain single color jersey was about the least hip thing you could do um and nowadays Most of what I prefer to ride in is pretty well single color. If I could convert all of my Rafa jerseys to get rid of the little white armband, I would. (laughs) I agree with you. I almost always, I would,
0: I would only have in my drawer uh, white, plain white jerseys Mm -hmm. if I had my choice, because in I only wear short sleeve jerseys when it's quite warm. uh, And I prefer white because it soaks up less heat than a black Mm -hmm. jersey. So Mm -hmm. I would only wear plain white. In fact, the other day on the race, I wrote, I have a is it a twin six jersey it was a custom program uh my buddy aaron smith uh who does the cool dad cycling podcast he designed the logo for a shop uh in minneapolis called omnium and it was a plain white jersey with just a very simple omnium logo on it that's my favorite it's just
1: Mm -hmm. i don't need
0: to be anyone's billboard Uh, they're all nice jerseys that i've got but yeah all plain white is what i would do
1: yeah yeah uh mm mm-hmm I get it. Alrighty, let's move on to Pace Line Picks. Okay, uh, for the mixtape,
0: I decided to mix up my usual ride food. See what I did oh. there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I chose not to rely on the stuff I jam in my pocket before most rides, like Cliff Blocks, which we've talked about on this show recently, Larabars, mm-hmm. uh, Bobo's Oat Bites, which I picked a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I discovered recently that Pro Bar, who make, I think, the best energy slash meal bar in the portable food aisle. I like mm-hmm. their superfood slam in particular. Also make probar bolt chews uh which are their version mm-hmm. of the cliff block. So it's a, oh. a gelatinous chewable calorie puck. <laughs> you
1: make that sound so
0: sexy. <laughs> I know, I know. Everyone everyone needs a pocket full of calorie pucks. um i really liked them uh they were softer than cliff blocks although to be fair the texture of gummies like this really depends on the outside temperature and how fresh they are yes Um, the the flavor of the bolt chews i found subtle not too cloying
1: Um, wait is this a wine review
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) these gummies had legs um (laughs) Uh one of the complaints a lot of people have with synthetic carb electrolyte suspensions is that they leave your teeth feeling like each one has a sweat sock on it. hmm I I ate these things all day. I didn't get that feeling on Sunday. Uh and I think it's just because the bolt shoes dissolved so well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh n- nutritionally they're slightly different from cliff blocks. Each pack has 20 fewer calories. Uh, so 180 calories versus 200, um, but they have 50% more sodium, which I find helpful, uh, sweating as I do, uh, and also slightly more sugar. Although I didn't detect that in the taste. Uh-huh. Uh huh. From a packaging standpoint, I found the bolt package easier to open and eat from while riding than the Cliff Block sleeve.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: I mean, I think if you get the cliff block sleeve just right, I know some people like pre cut them before they ride, then, then, yes, it's really good. Uh, But the, the bolt comes, the bolts come in a square pouch with a tear off corner. And I, I found that very easy both to open while riding and to dispense.
1: Um, One question about that uh, corner that opens is it in some way, uh, is there, like, a, any sort of perforation yes. or other sort of guide that, that guides what is torn, or can you accidentally, like, tear half the bag open?
0: There is a guide, so there's a okay. perforation at the top. I think you uh-huh. have to be—you could, if you were overzealous, tear the whole side, uh-huh. uh, but it w- I found it very simple just to nip the corner off. okay um they come in six different flavors which are strawberry berry blast you couldn't just be berry right it has to be berry blast Mm -hmm. uh pink lemonade orange uh raspberry and cran pomegranate i wish i had had cran pomegranate riding through cranberry bogs as i was but instead i had strawberry (laughs) <laughs> Each pouch is 2.1 ounces, and you can get a 12-pack of pouches for $29.99 directly from Probar.
1: Bar. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I may have to give those a try. Yeah. I've, I've been a big user of the, the Scratch Labs uh, chews.
0: I also do like them, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you tried the blueberry that they came out with relatively recently?
0: I, I haven't.
1: I generally don't opt for blueberry things. Uh I, I like blueberry. It's not my favorite flavor, but I, I like I've had so much strawberry in my life, I can't buy anything strawberry anymore. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you know, but uh the orange, the raspberry, and the blueberry, and the green tea and matcha flavors, all four of those are pretty dynamite. <laughs> um so my pick last weekend I got to see a bunch of friends I haven't had the pleasure to ride with in a while, as I mentioned. It was a terrific time though my legs not quite so much as the terrific part uh i was discussing suspension with two of my friends and they confessed that they had no idea what their suspension was set to and didn't even own a shock pump my recommendation today is a shock pump uh I am largely agnostic on brand, but I am going to recommend the RockShox one because it tends to go for less than $40. Um, and seems to be in stock at an, in an awful lot of places. It's the one that I have. Well, it's one of two that I have. Um, I think it's really important to experiment with shock pressure, uh, as well as adjustments like rebound damping. Um, I think people tend to underestimate just how much suspension setup can change how a bike rides. Uh, A corollary to this is uh, talking to other people about their mountain bike and how it rides. Does it chatter on Rocky stuff or does it float over it? Uh, You know, what if the fork or shock is bottoming out that sort of thing. Back when I had my Ibis Ripley, the Fox 36 on there I did everything about setting that that uh, fork up correctly. I followed all the directions. Hated that fork for months. Got to the point where I was considering selling the bike, and I thought, maybe what I should do is take out one of the volume spacers. Let's mm. see how that does. Mm. Totally different fork after that. Yeah. Completely different fork once I did that. Uh, and so, you know, that was that was when I really started to give myself permission to experiment a lot more. You know, all the forks and shocks have guidelines for what you're supposed to set the sag at and everything, but they're rules of thumb. They are not, you know, technical specifications. Um, And I think there's really a a lot of fun to be had in experimenting with that. Um, I'm not, uh, uh, well, anal enough to set up my bikes differently when I ride different places. Mm -hmm. But I could, you know, that would be that would be a really understandable thing if I was going to ride out in West County as opposed to an adult state park. Um, You know, one place the the trails are smoother, not rocky. uh, The other very, very rocky. And it would be easy to set up a bike differently for those.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, how, how the suspension compresses and rebounds has a huge impact on my bike handling. I like, I like to ride, you know, pretty technical stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and even low speed technical stuff. And I need to understand how the fork, for example, is going to rebound when I weight it, uh, when I weight it and unweight it to, to go up something mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've encountered several friends uh, who are fairly new to dual suspension bikes. And, you know, I've sort of checked their bikes out and been like, wow, your suspension is way too stiff. Like, I don't know what you're getting out of this. Uh, Maybe at high speed over chatter, this is helping you a little bit. But in terms of like what the suspension can do for you in bike handling, you're missing most of it.
1: Right,
0: right, I I also recognize, you know, like um, like in skateboarding, how tight you run your trucks can vary a lot by preference. Some like very stiff, some like them almost floppy. Uh, so I do understand that there are some (laughs) riders who will want stiffer suspension than others, but as you say, I think like you should find out what you like, uh, and what works with your bike handling because, because what the bike is doing is not just eating up the shocks that you're riding into. Uh, it's a (laughs) dynamic system, like you're inside of it. Uh, so being able to drive the suspension yourself, I think is key.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then there, you know, as as I mentioned before, you know, rebound damping, if you don't mess with that, it can be like being on a pogo stick. Yeah, it's it can be really, really awful. Uh, but I've you know, I've had stuff that was so bad that I actually overcorrected that way. And the, the fork wasn't opening enough. Uh, you know, it wasn't rebounding quickly enough after I would hit stuff. And so I would gradually start compressing the fork more and more down a longer descent uh, so, yeah, lots lots of fun to be had there. But, you know, $35 or so, get a shock pump. Have some fun. Cheap thrills. <sighs> yeah. Uh, alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, we've got some fun stuff coming up. You're, you're in the process of doing another The Long Way Home?
0: I have another Long Way Home coming out uh, about a theme that is very important uh, to me in my life. Uh, so hopefully we'll have that up next week. Um, what else do we have? Gosh, we have a bunch of reviews in the can that we just have to sort out. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have the usual stuff. Uh, John Rosell's excellent weekly Hey Just Ride piece, mm-hmm. uh, as well as
1: a useless review or two uh, and all the regular fun. I've got a few of yours I need to catch up on. Yeah. Uh, I could use some laughs. (laughs) Uh, This is where we ask you to subscribe if you haven't already. Go ahead, click that button now and send us more questions. Uh, You too can be one of our shadow producers. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Uh, We always ask you to check out our other podcasts, but since this has run long, uh, just please... (laughs) Maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism accepted here. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.